I was born from the bombs and the mines of the Blitzkrieg, and I've been around the world twice and I've talked to everyone once. I've fought in the jungles, the deserts, the mountains around the world, and I've been baptized through the violence of combat and the blast waves of my destruction. There's no bomb too big or too small, and there's no mine too deep. I will jump from six miles above the earth. I will dive to the cradle of the deep. Because anything worth doing is worth overdoing, because moderation's for cowards. You see, I don't quit when I'm tired. I quit when I'm done. And I'm never done. I protect the president, the vice president, and a couple of dignitaries too. But you won't see me in any movies. You won't read many books about me. Because I'm not famous. I'm just infamous. But you can check my pedigree because I'm well-bred. I'm a sled dog. I'm a lover and I'm a fighter. I'm a double crimping, terrorist killing, bomb defusing, United States Navy, UOD operator. Booyah, UOD. Welcome to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share. All ideas, thoughts, and statements are those of the guest and the host of Echo Oscar Delta, and not of Navy EOD or Navy as a whole. Today we have Todd Neal. He did 30 years in uh, most of it Navy EOD, just a, a short stint at the beginning where uh, uh he was misguided, but he found the real path. Um, retired as a, uh, a senior chief, did 10 deployments, six of them combat, uh, did a Westpac, did Iraq, Afghanistan, Bahrain, and uh, man, I appreciate you coming and sitting down. Hey, I appreciate it, and I appreciate everything you're doing with this podcast, man. It's, uh, it's getting the word out, and it's getting uh, EOD techs comfortable with talking about their experiences. Yeah, it's a... Uh, it, it's been good. The, the response that I've, I've gotten back is, is really good from guys being able to, you know, especially being away from, you know, when they retire and if they, if they move away from, you know, either the East or West coast, it's, it's good to, yeah. to kind of hear some familiar voices. Um, you know, I guess getting in it, you got a, you had an a interesting upbringing and then an interesting way you found the military and then EOD. Uh, if you wouldn't mind yeah. diving into that. So, um, I went a long time, you know, a lot of my friends in EOD never even really knew where I came from. Of course, I grew up in Louisiana, uh, Ruston. Um, a little unique that I uh, grew up in the Methodist Children's Home and, uh, you know, was an orphan there uh, my entire life. Yeah. Uh, never got adopted. Um, and uh, at, when I was a sophomore in high school, um, they... I was behind two years in school and okay. trying to make that up. And I was kind of a bad student in junior high. Right. And gosh, I hate to admit this, but literally I saw like the movie top gun. I was like, I want to be a pilot. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was like, how do I be a pilot? Well, I can't be a pilot with these like D's and C's and D grades. Right. And then um, figured out that I need good grades. And I was like, I'm going to be a Naval officer. That's what I'm going to be. Boy, how that didn't work out, <laughs> uh, right? Like, and um, and that's a positive too. Um, but you know, I was trying to make up time, and I was two years behind. I'd failed twice and got held back, and uh, I was trying to do courses during the summer to try to get those credits so I could graduate on time. And uh, I remember the Methodist Children's Home, the uh, director of education came to me, and he's like, 
uh, don't worry, we're not going to kick you out, um, but you're going to be turning 18 uh, before you have your high school diploma. And I was like, okay, all right, cool. I'm, I'm going to get my high school diploma, right? And he says, yep, you're good. I don't know, two weeks later, might have been a month, he comes back and says, got, got some bad news for you. Uh, the board has met. We keep no one past the age of 18. Yeah. And back then, there were no halfway homes or there was nowhere to go. Yeah. Um, so even at that time, it was like they were like, you may be going into the military. That might be your only place to go because it was either that or I guess I'd be on the street. Yeah. Um, and but he's like, I have an idea. It's like, you're going to drop out of high school. I was like, oh, that doesn't sound like a very good idea. Like, I mean, I. For an education guy, you know, that doesn't seem very logical. Right. And uh, he's like, no, he goes, you're going to drop out of high school. You're going to go take your GED, and then you're going to immediately take the entrance exam for Louisiana Tech University. I was like, okay. He goes, yeah, we think you're smart enough to do that. Like, thanks for the vote of confidence (laughs) there, buddy. Like, uh, (laughs) I wish I could remember his name, but, I mean, all best intentions. Yeah. He, so, you know, fast forward, and within – Three months, I was like, went from being a sophomore in high school to a freshman in college. Wow. Uh, moving moving into the dorms, right? And unfortunately, that's probably my first realization of, you know, when you go from being a, a child to being a young adult where you don't have authority figures, whether it be parents or house parents at their children's home, telling you what you should be doing. Like, do your homework. Do your chores like there's nobody there forcing you to do that right and obviously i lacked the discipline to to do that and i basically fell out of school and i went well obviously i don't know what i want to do uh uh working full-time and going full-time to school uh, wasn't doable for me and i need some discipline so i was like you know what i'll join the navy i always wanted to be a naval pilot that didn't work out for me so I'll go into the Navy for like a couple of years and, and get some money and come back and do this college stuff right. Yeah. Went through and they're like, you're going to be working with officers. I'm like, okay, that sounds pretty good. Like uh, maybe I could be one, right? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Just sign right here. You'll be a yeoman. I was like, okay, what does that do? Like, I don't even, I've never heard of that. I'm like, well, you're like an admin person. I was like, uh, sure, okay. And went and did the admin thing and um, scored pretty high, you know, Yeoman A School in Meridian, Mississippi. Yeah. That place is in the middle of nowhere. Uh, And went to my first duty station, which was that Pack Fleet. So I get to Pack Fleet, and they're like, we have this new department called uh, Warfare Requirements. You're going to be in it. I'm like, okay. And I show up, and I am the only enlisted guy in this whole department. (laughs) Like, there was Admiral Prout. There was, like, Captain Stewart. There was, like, lowest guy was, like, a command. Oh, no, there was a lieutenant. We had a creepy lieutenant. Yeah. Uh, which became, like, my sea dad, right? His name was uh, Robert Fletcher. And great guy, you know, guided me and, and showed me what, you know, how the Navy should be and what hard work was. And every one of those uh, officers there, man, God, they worked so hard. Yeah. Um, And, you know, because it was about the Navy and, you know, doing what was right for the Navy and the warfighter. And from there I left and wound up going to a ship and man, that was an experience. 
I pretty much was like, yeah, I am done with the Navy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I met uh, some, the EOD detachment on our ship. I was on the USS Boxer. And um, it was like, uh, I don't know if I even, they're, they're out of the Navy, but like Scott Kern and Bill Graves, he was like a big, like New York guy. And um, he, and Ricky Dabbs, they they were all great guys, right? Um, each one was a little bit different. Joe Tuminello and uh, Tony Bravo. And, you know, they, they got me interested. I was like, oh, it was like, I remember going up to him. I was like, what are you guys, SEALs or something? And he was like, no, we're EOD. I was like, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, uh, we're like, we, we're, the, we're the bomb squad guys. And I'm like, eh, that doesn't sound very good. He goes, well, we jump and blow stuff up. I was like, okay, that sounds cool. Yeah. <laughs> So through deployment, you know, I kind of worked with them and, uh, you know, kind of got indoctrinated what EOD was. And, and, and that was my first interest. And the fact that when I was at Pack Fleet, to backtrack a little bit, um, one of the if the work, one of the deals I worked out with the chain of command because I wanted to go to dive school. I wanted to be a diver. Yeah. And uh, but I was a yeoman. And Captain Stewart was a submarine captain. So he was like, tell you what, you know, you, you, you do really well over the next year. And, uh, I'll call one of my sub friends and see if we can get you one of their billets to go to dive school. So I went to dive school at Fort Island and became a diver. Well, that was pretty handy for the EOD, uh, deck that was on board because not only was I a SAR swimmer, they were like, oh man, you're a diver too. So I would help out with diving and, you know, uh, did a lot of diving in the Gulf with them, uh, mostly cutting out like uh, fishing nets into the ship's screw and yeah. stuff like that. But uh, got done. I was like, you know what? Maybe I want to be an EOD guy and, you know, uh, move toward doing that. And uh, I was like, well, I have to get orders. And right now, maybe I can do it later, but let me get orders to like an EOD unit. Well, I'd had orders to Moby Unit 3, and uh, everything looked good. I was getting married soon to my wife, and we'd put down a bunch of money, and then about a month out, they were like, yeah, Ord Mod happened. Yeah, you're going to Japan now. And I'm like, oh, uh, no, I'm not going to Japan. Like, I've got, I'm going to lose out like on $25,000 for this wedding. That's a hardship. And I, in the meantime, through all that, I'd gotten my degree my computer science degree, and I was like, well, I'll just get out and work. I got out and um, started working, and then it was like, oh, I'll affiliate with the reserves. And when I affiliated with the reserves, just by coincidence, I didn't ask for it. They were like, oh, you got to dive uh, any CC. We need divers. And I was like, oh, okay. Like They're like, you're going to EOD moving at 7. Nice. And I showed up over there, actually as a yeoman, but then transitioned over to the Ordnance Clearance Detachment as a diver. Okay. And while I was there, I got Mark 16 qualified. And that was like the only things we really did back then is you either dove 16 or you did limpets every drill weekend that you come in. And uh, those guys were, were really good at it because that's all they did was those mission areas. You know, if you're on the MCM side of it, all you did was find, locate, blow and go, right? Just that's all you did find and destroy um then on, if you're on the limpid side you would find you know mark that back then the reserve guys were doing quick steps and mm. um but they were really good at it and very comfortable with being under 
underneath ships, right? Because uh, that's all you ever did. And I remember going to work one day at my civilian job, and I get to work, and everybody's just glued around TV. And I'm like, what, what's going on? They, you're like, you haven't heard? Like, uh, a plane hit the World Trade Center. I was like, and, you know, at that point, it was like, well, it was an accident. Did a plane, like, just accidentally do it? And as we we watched, that's when we saw the other planes yeah. hit the World Trade Center. And we're like, okay, this ain't, this is a thing. And I immediately knew, I was like, oh, I wonder if I'm getting recalled to active duty. And sure enough, uh, they recalled all of Moby Unit 7. And we did a lot of uh, limpid diving and, and just being a force multiplier to Moby Unit 3 at the time. Okay. So. Um, Where was 7 out of at the time? Uh, 7 was actually over at 32nd Street at the time in the okay. old, uh, like, it almost looked like blimp hangers. It was a huge, you know, build condemned building yeah. that they were housed in. Um, but we had cages and, you know, it was, it was interesting. Um, that's, I'm, I've met, uh, Billy Stalzer there. Um, you know, Randy Packard was the CEO at the time and, you know, met all those, those people. And, and I, I really liked the mentality of, of the people that I was meeting. Um, they they reminded me of, you know, the debt that was on the boxer, uh, with uh, Scott Kern and those guys that yeah. I was like, okay, like I, I really like these guys. And we were on active duty for a year before we were released. And at that point I was like, I think I was at eight years or something active duty. And I was like, and I told my wife, I was like, Hey, how do you feel about like me putting a package in to go back active duty, but to go EOD? Cause I want to do something for the war. Yeah. Uh, I want to be, I want to do my part. Um, instead of just doing paperwork and ironically me being able to do paperwork actually helped me get my get get back in very quickly because um uh, I, I guess i had that disease that you know of typing yeah uh, and so got back in and showed back up and and what i left out was that uh when we were called back to active duty that's when the eod unit uh, sent us to, you know, qualify as 5339. So okay. you would go to EOD school up to, you know, TMD right before BC, right? And I'd left. And while I was gone, um, I guess there was some kind of shenanigans with uh, people that were on hold, nuke hold at EOD school. Oh, not, yeah. Not like showing up or something. Oh, really? <laughs> so I went back to EOD school and I remember I was checking back in. And not a lot of time had gone by, maybe a year had, had passed. Actually, probably not even that. And uh, I remember seeing Dale Rock in the hallway. Me and him had had, like, some run-ins, like, uh, when uh, I was going through school the first time. And he was, like, very, like, hey, like, you know, like, and then immediately the, the look of I'm mad as hell right now. And like comes right over to me is like, where have you been? And I'm like, uh, I, I don't know. I just got here. Like I, I was in San Diego. He's like, you were in San Diego this whole time. And like, he's like, you are so screwed. And I'm like, I just got here. How am I screwed? And he's like, it's guys like you that have been hiding out in X division. You know this. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I literally just got off the plane yesterday. And 
I was like, I left. I got my qual and I left. And he goes, oh, oh, okay. All right, well, I'm not mad at you. <laughs> oh, thank God, right? So I didn't quite uh, class up immediately because they didn't know what to do with me. And there were some people that were like, you need to start from the beginning. And I was like, uh, I didn't fail out. I, uh, I should pick up where I left off. Yeah. And there were some people that were like, no, no, you should start at the beginning. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, but I worked in training, right? Because I had that typing disease. Right. And they were like, well, until you class up, you're going to work here in uh, training as a yeoman. And I was like, God, I can't get rid of this this disease. (laughs) And, uh, so I, I wind up like working in there and I remember the civilian that was there. I can't remember her name, but she comes to me one day. She goes, Todd, there's a, there's a, a BC class starting. You better get in it. Cause they, they're not telling you their classes are open cause they like having you. <laughs> like I was like, Oh man. So I, I had, uh, put myself in the class and there was a unnamed, uh, chief at the time who showed up and he was like, he saw my name on the board, and he's like, "What? What? What is this?" I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm starting school on Monday." Like, and he's like, "No, you're not." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I am." He goes, "No, no, you have to start off at like recon." And I'm like, "No, no, I I passed recon. I I don't need that." And he's like, "No, you should you should start there." I was like, uh, "I'm willing to take my chances." Like, <laughs> um, and he's like threw like a recon bag at me. He's like, "We're going out to do a recon right now," so I'm like walking out, and I, I see uh, Dale Rock, and he goes, "Where are you going?" I was like. Going out to do a recon, I, I may or may not see you on Monday in class. Like, and he follows us out, right? And I, I do my recon, and you know they're being distracted. I'm being distracted by them because they're talking very loudly. And next thing you know, Dale comes over and goes, "All right, you're done." I'm like, "What did what did I fail already? Like, what happened?" Like, he's like, "Put that bag down." I was like, "I'm like, uh, what's what's happening?" He's so I grabbed the bag. He goes, no, nah, I'll leave that bag. That guy can bring the bag back. He goes, uh, you're done with your recon. You show up to class on Monday. Nice. I was like, right on. <laughs> so showed up to class and never looked back, right? And, uh, you know, wind up getting to the Moby unit and uh, running into the old one of the chiefs, the old R&T chiefs um, that I'd met at Moby unit 7, which was named Mark Keenan. Very tall man. Yeah. Um, and, and those who don't know me, I am a very tall man myself. Uh, <laughs> no, I am not. I'm like five foot three and like 150 pounds. <laughs> and, uh, this guy is a monster and almost like uh, Bill Gray's, which was also a monster. And, but came up to me and, you know, he's like, he's like, Hey, uh, I'm putting together a team. You want to go to Fallujah? And I'm like, Ooh, like, when he's like three months i'm like sure why not i joined up to do this yeah right and he's like so it was like crazy training that that like all through the holidays like christmas and all that and we're like we heard like oh we we may be there for the battle of fallujah right and we get there and it's like things are just crazy man it's like we we get there it's like a you know how convoys are like, it's like, all right, on the map, it's only three miles, but we're going to take the 20 mile route. (laughs) Like, I don't know how that works. Like we still get there. Like, and they're like, well, we can't go directly there. It's like, well, there's only so many roads there. I think they just wait us out. Like, but 
I remember they put me in a truck with this guy from like Alabama, and he's like dri- he's like driving convoys in Iraq in an unarmored truck that the windshield like comes all the way down to your knees. Yeah. Like you feel so exposed. And I'm like, I look at him and I'm like, so you do this every day, huh? He goes, yep. And he had like a 45 that he gotten from some, somebody. And he's like, yeah, but I got this. And I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's going to help us. Like, I I don't know. (laughs) I was like, and, uh, but I was like, Hey man, if I have to punch rounds through your windshield, just be aware I'm not rolling windows down. Like, and uh, he goes, do what you got to do. And I was like, man, is this how I die? Like, <laughs> on the way to Fallujah? Like, man. And uh, so we leave to Cottom and head off to Fallujah. And we, we get there. As soon as we get there, they're like, we need volunteers to go to the city. And I was like, I thought this was Fallujah. Like, yeah. No, no, the actual city of Fallujah. We have a, a post there in the middle of the city. I was like, well, you know, I volunteered for this. Like, I raised my hand. I was like, I'll go. And uh, Mark Keenan raised his hand, too. And we went with a Marine that kind of knew the lay of the land. His name was Matt Small. And uh, so we're kind of getting the, the, the feel for everything. We had a call literally that morning. I don't, I don't know if we had slept maybe four hours really over the last 24. And so we get up to go on this call. It's a UXO call. And... It's my first response, right? Like, yes. And, you know, I'm the smallest guy, and we're in Humvees. And, of course, the smallest area in a Humvee when you got a comms rack is a driver, right? That position is like, you got a comms rack. And I just, you know, I was like, well, it just seems right that I sit here because I'm such a large man. And, <laughs> you know, it's like, so I, I sit there, right? And so we're rolling down the road. And, of course, you're like, we own the road, right? Vehicles pull over. We drive down the middle of the freeway. Um, if you don't pull over, we we escalate force. And I remember just driving down, and I, you know, me, no, we, we didn't have cruise systems back then. Really, right. we had red, like like red was our cruise system, and there weren't many key fobs back then. Like it was a little more advanced, so it was worthless. Yeah. So we're like speed. Speed is right. Side. Go, go fast, safety last, right? And we're like, just as fast as these Humvees could go, right? And uh, I just remember rolling down and like I look over on the side of the road and I'm like looking for IDs, right? And I'm like, oh, there's a burlap bag. And about the time I process that, like it's just boom, right? Ugh. And, you know, my front windshield is cracked. My side windshield is cracked. Uh Everything's ringing. Uh, there's no soft or hard hits. Like nobody, nobody's injured. Thank God. Um, and we pull over immediately, and we are trying to find the trigger man. And of course, we don't find him. And we do a, our own post blast analysis, and get back in the truck and roll on to the the initial call, which was uh, the UX UX or the cache at Sacagawea, and. We get there and like we blow up a bunch of ordnance, and that's when I realized, like, man, I don't. My ward ID is terrible. Yeah, the Marines were great at it, and <laughs> over time, you got really good at it. You you 
very rarely did you have to pull out a book. You could be like, that's, you know, that's a one five two. I could tell by the bands and, you know, that's a one five five, a South African one five five. That's, you know, one five two. Um, but you would, it just made, uh, processing reports a lot quicker. Yeah. Uh, but the realization was by the time we got back, oh, by the way, we didn't go to that call and go straight back. We literally went from that call to like five IED calls. And I was like, wow, okay. Like we got back at night. Yeah. And really the only reason we really had to go back is we ran out of bank. And I was like, man, like, is that, is this normal? Like, I guess so. I mean, that was my normal. Yeah. And, but I talked to Mark and I was like, man, hadn't been here 24 hours. I've already been blown up. Hmm. That's, that's bad. <laughs> like, and then personally, I just kind of went, man, um, this might be it. This might be my first deployment, my last deployment, like all at once. Like, I was like, I may, may not make it out of this one. And, uh, and I think that was kind of the unspoken sentiment amongst the entire platoon. Yeah. Well, you know, the Marines made our OIC the, um, the commander of, of the EOD. So it was Marine and uh, Navy living under the same roof. Okay. You can only imagine how that was going. It's going like, to be interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Everybody was talking crap about each other mm-hmm. and you suck and this, that, and the other. And, our OSC got tired of it and said, okay, that's it. There's no more Marine teams. There's no more Navy teams. You guys will, will integrate. There will be either be two Navy and one Marine or two Marine and one Navy. You'll work together. Yep, that took about less than one day, and then we just talked crap about each other's teams. Like, nothing <laughs> yeah. changed. Yeah. Like, the the crap talking just, just didn't change. It just went from Navy to Marine to well, your team sucks, and, like, <laughs> you're an idiot. Like, yeah. uh, but, more like, not in a, like, literally not in a, a bad way, more in, like, in a joking, like, way, because I think everybody kind of was, like, um, that sense of we're probably not making it out of here. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it just made things very simple and straightforward. I think it's it's a way to not think about that what what you already have decided is going to be the fate. Yeah. It's a way to not think about that and like everybody can kind of bond over that portion. Yeah. <laughs> and so I guess once you get past that, then you you start recognizing things that are funny. And you you say things that are probably morbid morbid now uh that you I mean, contextually, it was just how things were. Um, but, you know, you you would, you really looked at the bright side of, of everything. You're like, man, I have infinite amount of explosives. I can try anything here. Like, and you really did learn what the capabilities of explosives are. I remember we had a, a Zuni rocket, 2.5-inch Zuni rocket, and wow, I can't believe I even remember that. Um, <laughs> but we're it was a UXO and we were trying to dig it dig it out. And I was like, the ground was hard, man. And we're like, like, we're EOD, man. How about how about I mean, we're gonna dig this thing out of the ground just to blow it up. How about we just blow it up here in the ground 
the ground will kind of tamp it. We don't need a lot of bang, and it's right next to this wall. And I remember we I think we used a block, or maybe even a quarter of a block. And we set it off, and I was like, I wonder if that wall survived because it was like you know just a regular um, uh, wall, a brick wall that was there, mm-hmm. cinder block wall, and. Um, we went back and I was like, holy moly, that, that wall is still there. I thought it would totally be gone, right? And then over time, you would just try different things and, and you really got to learn like what you could get away with the explosives. Yeah. Um, I I remember, you know, it was kind of an unwritten r- rule back then that if insurgents used it, you know, really you'd find a lot of caches in, in people's homes and hidden in their homes or around their homes and if it was in their home we we just didn't bother moving it yeah it was hazard um and we would destroy their home and and there was just a youtube video that's still out there that guys made uh way back about you know insurgents you know building ieds in their home and a team uh didn't move it and they literally blew it up and uh basically made this like learning video of like, Hey, if, uh, any more insurgents out there, you know, would like a new home makeover, please submit your 10 digit grid and, uh, we'll come and give you a home makeover, uh, rack edition. And like that thing's still out there and it's, That's awesome. it's God, 20 years later, but people are like, Oh, you must have had a lot of time on your hands. You're like we didn't, but it's just funny how, you know, the more intense things are, and I can say that for me and most pe- everybody I know, the, the the harder things are, the the more productive you are. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and and I think that's what I admired most about the people that I that I worked with and around. Um, you know, it's you know everybody on that platoon or debt back then. Um, should not have, I mean, the deck was stacked against us. We yeah. were all basic techs except one one senior tech, which was our LC, our LPO, and, of course, our master tech. And then, you know, the rest of us were all basics. Most of us went to school together yeah. or was at least in the class, you know, behind us. Um, and here we are showing up to Iraq, and through attrition, uh, a lot of us found ourselves as team leaders. Yeah. And looking back on it, you wonder, I mean, how does a, how does a basic tech one lead a team and one survive? Right. Um, and the simple answer is, is there were people like, you know, um, Tommy and, um, the people in R and T that gave you a lot of, uh, you know, we didn't, we didn't have a, like a lot of robots back then. It right. was, it's kind of like, here's a picture of a robot. You'll get one in country. But until then, uh, you know, Farron's going to be your robot. You just tell him what to do, right? And Or it was more of a thought process. Like, you know, like, what are you going to do? Yeah. And explain to me what you're in, like, excruciating detail of what and how you're going to do it and why you're making decisions you're making. Um. I remember uh, at the time he wasn't our LPO, our, 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 LC, our LPO at the time, but 
uh, he, they would take you down with a, with a bag over your head and take you down range and pull the bag over your head and go, what are you going to do? Like, and you'd be like on top of an IED, you know, and you're like, oh my God, like, you know, it's like, um, you never like, okay, stop. Seriously, what are you going to do? Nobody's here telling you what to do. And when it happens, nobody's going to be here. That, this is a decision you have to make. Um, are you going to fight? You're going to fight the IED or are you going to run from the ID? The, and they, the person who was speaking to me went, I'm not, I can't tell you what the right answer is. Yeah. You have to determine what the right answer is. And, you know, in my mind, I'm going, well, first off, you're an idiot because I'll never get this close because I'll see the IED, right? <laughs> and uh, fast forward to several incidences where I trip and, and literally I'm on top of an IED. Um, one specifically that um, me and you kind of spoke about this one was, yeah. this one's a great lesson learned. This one, um, I should have, uh, I probably should have died. And, and, and it would have been 100% my fault. The only good part about it would have been is it probably would have only killed me. And we showed up uh, I, on a UXO call in Karma which was north of Felicia. And we show up, and there's a second lieutenant there. And he is like, I have a UXO on the side of the road down there. And, uh, yeah. And I'm like, uh, UXO? You mean an IED, right? He goes, no, no, it's a UXO. And I was like, I've not really seen too many UXOs on the side of the road. You mean a IED, right? And... He goes, no, and he's adamant about it. It is a UXO. And I'm like, and I kind of hesitate, and I'm like, and he goes, look, I'll take you down there myself. And I was like, ooh, man, you're pretty confident that you're willing to go back down there. So, all right. Um, I look at the team, and, you know, hindsight's always 20-20, but I go, okay, I'm going to go down range. So I go down range, and all I hear in my head is like EOD score. Take me down the first clear path, you yeah. know, first visual sighting, you know, pointed out to me. And at some point, I was like, hey, man, why don't you just walk like 50 feet behind me? So if somebody dies, maybe it's just me. In hindsight, he should have been the one 50 feet ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and so we get down range, and he's like, yep, there it is. And it's, a, it's an IED hole, a previous one. You'd think that something in my head would have gone, yeah, hey, let's go back up range, get that robot, sit right. back down here, right? <laughs> and I was like, oh. it's like, okay. And I, I look over the edge and I'm like, okay, there's a Projo here, as he described. Okay. I cannot see the nose of it. He said that you could see the nose of it. Um, and I kick a dirt clog. It's like a piece of dirt leaning against the nose of it. Kick it away and, yeah, that's a, uh, that's that's red dick cord right there. And I'm like, maybe it's not connected to anything. I thought he said there was nothing in the nose of this thing. So I grabbed the deck cord and I kind of tug on it. And um, sure enough, uh, yeah, it's attached to something. Yeah. And at some point, I like look at him and I was like, you know, yeah, bleep this part out, but get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Like, and I'm pulling and like, Cut like J hook, like J hook knife comes out, cutting deck cord, uh, pulling. Yes, there's another Projo here. Cut it away. 
there's a bottle of gasoline here. I toss it. I'm pulling. I find an LRCT base station still hooked to all this deck cord. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm about to probably lose a hand here. Yeah. And I just grab everything I can. I toss it over my shoulder as far away from me and the IED because I was like, yeah, this thing could go. It could probably still set this deck cord off. Like, let me get some separation. So I toss everything. I'm sure there's nothing else there. And I sit on the edge of the hole. And I go, wow. I just survived that. And then the second thought come to mind was it would really suck right now if I were killed by a secondary because I didn't do five and 25s. So I jump up and I start doing five and 25s and go back down range, cut, you know, cut the deck cord out, the LRCT, go back up range. I, I'm kind of mad at the um, second lieutenant, but really I should have been mad, more mad at myself at decisions that I made. And, um, I threw the LRCT at him, and I go, yeah, it's a, uh, a UXO, huh? And he's like, he didn't know what to say, and I was yeah. I was being very, very aggressive with him. And the gunny that was there kind of got in between us and said, hey, hey, I got this. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm, yeah. And we go bag evidence and, you know, head back to, to Met Fallujah. We get another call back to the same place. And I remember telling my OSC, I was like, I wonder if that second lieutenant's going to be there. I hope he's not there. Yeah. Like, I hope it's somebody else. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm still mad at him because obviously he's an idiot and doesn't, doesn't know the difference. And we show up, and I'm literally like, when taking him, I was like, oh, man, like, it's this guy again. <laughs> so I show up and open my door, and he's like immediately at my door. He's like, I've got an IED downrange. And it's an ID until EOD tells me it's not. And like looks over at his gunny with like this thumbs up expression, like, I just did good, right? Like, and the gunny just kind of doesn't do anything. And I I I just look at everything. I was like, okay, well, let's let's get a let's get a robot down there because um I've learned my lesson. Yeah. And uh we go down, sure enough, it's an IED, we get rid of it, and uh the 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 gunny is just like, yeah, I took care of the problem. And then kind of gives me a thumbs up, like the same expression. And I'm like, oh my God. Okay. Like, um, this, this may work out. But I, when I was a training unit, man, I, as a, as an instructor, I, I tell the young guys, it's like, don't, don't make the mistakes that I'm, I, I got lucky. Yeah. I lived, I made a bad decision. I mean, to the point of, you almost can't trust what people tell you, right? Right. Because they just are not trained and they don't know what they're looking at. And the words that you use may be different than the words that they use. Yeah. Looking back on it, is it unexploded ordnance? Yeah, it was. But rigged does an IED. Like, right. And to him, he probably just didn't know the difference. And um, you know, the what we did learn was is that the infantry units had such high respect for the EOD teams that they were, they were doing some unsafe things. Yeah. They, they would go and make second and third approaches to ID items to ensure that they were IDs before they would even call us. And, you know, after you do some post blasts on, you know, some of our folks, you know, you, it's not something you want to really want to see anymore. 
you know, the bad guys all day long. Let, yeah. let them dudes kill themselves all day long. And, you know, you, you would learn, you'd roll up on scene and you, you had to watch what you would say to them. You're like, where's the ID? you be like, follow me. And it's like, they would lead you right to it. Mm-hmm. Where's that? Right there. You mean the one that's like literally like a foot from us? Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, hey, let's back out and let's have a talk. And, yeah. You know, you talk to them. They're they're young. They're they're young Marines, and and they're they're doing they're doing what they think is right. Right. And you would learn when you'd roll up. You'd be like, "Don't move." All right. With not moving, where's this ID? And don't say you're standing right next to it. Yeah. And sometimes you would go, "Yeah, it's right here." I'm like, "Okay, I'm gonna need you to walk toward our truck." Yeah. And uh, to get some frontal, and uh, we're gonna back out of here. And, but sometimes, you know, they'd be, you'd give them a laser and you're like, or you'd give them your weapon that had a laser on it and be like, Hey man, I want you to use my laser and I want you to laze where this thing is. Mm -hmm. And that would help a lot. And, but over time you would learn that like, I mean, the guys would tell us like, you know, man, we, we just don't want to waste your guys' time. And I'm like, okay, first off, man, uh, waste my time all day long. I would rather come out here a thousand times on nothing than have to come out here one time on one of you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and do do have to do a post-blast uh, assessment, a PBA. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of that, the mutual respect and, and the work was hot and it was heavy. Um, you, you just would go, go, go. Um, and the only times you ever really stopped was... Um, to to have to go resupply for explosives. I mean, it was we would carry an ungodly amount of explosives on our our trucks, like yeah. s- sometimes twenty satchels, um, and you would sometimes leave and not come back to the next day. Um, That's a, I've heard that so many times. Like when I when I first got to the Mulvina in two thousand nine, we were first team was supposed to go to Iraq, and like everybody that had done deployments, yeah. they all said that, that, you know, sometimes you go out for literally days at a time sleeping in your truck, you know, and then the only reason why you come back is exactly what you said. Just, you got to get more demo. There's still more calls on the books. You just got to go get more demo and literally turning right back around, grabbing some food and heading out. Exactly. And, you know, it's, you know, I, I talked about like, you know, probably had this, the cards or the deck stacked against us to survive uh, just that one deployment. And looking back on it, you know, it's, there was a lot of things that built up to it. I, and I, and I can't tell you just started at, um, at that platoon or that detachment. It started like all the way back to EOD school. I look back to the people that uh, I was surrounded by in EOD school and, uh, they, they were such high caliber individuals and, and you can cut out the, the names, but, um, like Harvey Fisher and, you know, Thomas Matney and Shannon Brown and like, I mean, just such great guys. And I mean, we, we had just such a great time, like through school, like it was, I mean, it had its hard times. Yeah. Um, and Shannon always was the guy who could pop the right joke at the right level of suck yeah. that everybody <laughs> would laugh and be re-energized and like, let's go do this, right? And just 
I mean, even Tommy, like, I mean, and Harvey and, and I mean, I remember us going through tech training and, and looking over some of the old pictures and just remember Harvey going, you know, guys, it'll never be like it is right now for us. Yeah. It was a true statement. It was just a moment in time that, that he identified and, and I'm glad he did because we all sat there and realized and I don't think we realized at the time, uh, how extraordinary the individuals there were. Yeah. I was just lucky to be there. Like, right. Like it's, um, those dudes are such rock stars and you know, I, I rode their coattails to get through EOD school. I, I'm the guy who slipped by. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I'm so lucky to be surrounded by such great individuals. And then I get to, that debt and we're all basics and we are in Fallujah at the worst time to be in Fallujah and we survive. Yeah. And you know, a lot of it probably was luck, but I think a lot of it too was, um, Tommy Rebus and those guys who gave us such great training at, at R and T that prepared us to use our greatest weapon, which was our brain. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I have my own, like, I think if uh, EOD techs uh, can utilize that first and be taught to use that, the, the, the tools in your toolbox, the robots, everything else, they're just multipliers. They just give you more capability mm-hmm. built upon you thinking. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, that 100% makes sense because really what you do, the, the way a problem should work, and it doesn't always work like this, but when, when you watch somebody execute either a real world problem or a drill and you're like man that was so smooth why usually what it comes down to is they use their mind they figure out okay what do i need to do and then they looked around all right what tools do i have that i can do that with you know and sometimes it may be the robot or if you're if you're dismounted maybe it's not the robot maybe it's a pull line or this or that you know and you look okay it's a water bottle this time that's the safest you know and but it's what do I need to do? And then what do I have to do it with? And when you watch drills and you're like, man, this is taking forever and it's making no sense. Usually it's because you're like, what tool do I have? Mm-hmm. And how am I going to use that to solve this? Like, no, figure out how to solve it. And then what tool you need to, to actually make that. Yeah. So, you know, as being a, a fellow instructor at the training unit, you know, you sometimes you'd be sitting instructor and be like, exactly that. Like yeah. what is going, nothing's happening. What's going yes. on right now. And you know, nine times out of 10, I would just go over. And if there were an adjourn, I would just crack the door and sit in the back and just listen to what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, nine times out of 10, I, that's all I needed to be like, okay, I understand their train of thought now. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. And, um, and if it was something that was crazy off into left field, of course, I'd go talk to the team leader and be like, Hey man, walk, walk, walk me through what you're doing. Right. I was like, cause this is training. This is it's better to learn here than, than, than bleeding combat. Right. Like yep. it's the penalty is way greater. And, and I do believe that when people know that their lives are on the line, they make really good decisions. Right. Yeah. Like they don't, they don't make half-assed decisions and they're cause the penalty is, is death. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, when you start talking to the guys and you're like, okay, what, what are you, what's your thought process? And, 
you know, a lot of times it's just getting people used to, hey, man, you if you're you should be executing steps one and two, you should already be thinking about three and four. Yep. Like that's your job as a team leader, three and four, three and four, three and four, because P1 is doing one and two. Yep. The other, the rest of the team, right? And because if you're on one and two, that's where the lag happens. And yeah. I remember a, a term that uh, has always stuck with me that uh, Brian Layton used to use all the time. It's economy of motion, right? Mm. You know, if you're moving, there better be, you better be a purpose to it, not wasted movement. Right. Um, and, you know, unneeded, you know, second approaches for no reason, tool in, tool out, and all those core things that, that, that shape EOD techs into what they are. Um, and just the extraordinary people that they are. Right. Yeah. Um, but far as like, you know, war stories and, and things like that, there's just so many of them. And, and of course, you know, the, one of the ones that kind of led to, um, I mean, there, there is one and it's kind of, I, I think it's kind of funny. It's kind of shitty, but it's kind of funny because <laughs> literally there's shit in it. But, uh, <laughs> so we were on an operation and we had a firm base that we had taken over. And, uh, uh, for people who don't know what a firm base is, that, that was when we got on patrol, we would want to sleep for the night. We'd take over somebody's house. Yeah they get paid very handsomely to go somewhere else. And we would set up shop in their, in their house. And we were with uh, third recon at the time and, you know, executing a mission. I think it was operation something reach, but we're out on it and we'd worked all day, nothing dry holes all day. And uh, it was night and, all of a sudden we start getting mortared and you could see the mortar trucks. It was mobile mortar trucks. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're like, they're like, let's go. And I'm like, what? We're okay. Yeah. Well, we'll be, we'll be, EOD be oh, oh, we're going to, okay. <laughs> so, so we jump in the truck and like, we take chase, man. And we chase and shoot and like, like all night long. Like we, they kill one, like one truck, right? Kill all the occupants. And then we corner, uh, the last truck and this guy takes off. Right. And like one, three of them or two go one way and one goes another way. And me and this one, uh, recon Marine take after the one guy and we're trying to chase him down and he's stopping every so often and firing at us and, Obviously, we, we suck at shooting because we were unable to shoot him. And, like, we're, like, he kept shooting, but he, like, runs across this, like, ravine across this little bitty bridge. When I say little bitty, I mean that thing goes, like, a foot wide maybe. Yeah. And so we take chase, and, like, I'm I'm in front of the Marine, and I'm, like, trying to book it across. And, of course— that guy, I mean, he does have body armor. Right. You know, he's like, he's like, oh, look, I'm very nimble. Or like, so he skirts across this bridge like nobody's business. And I get across about three-fourths of this bridge. Oh, no. And I fall off of it. <laughs> but so does the Marine that's behind me. We both fall off. Yeah. And thank God we fall off like the shallow end, right? Like, oh, my God, we're going to drown. And so, <laughs> like, we 
crawl up this embankment and like just gasping for air because there was still some swimming involved. Yeah. And swimming with 45 pounds of equipment on you, not yeah. easy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, man, it's a good thing we did all that swimming in EOD school, right? <laughs> right. It's like, oh, I think that's why I lived. And we get to it, and we're, like, laying down fire, and he's kind of firing back at us, but he's in the open. And we finally get him, and, like, I was like, I got him. And the Marine's like, no, no, I got him. <laughs> of course. And, like, now it's an argument yeah. between both of us of who got him. And I was like, all right, man, um, well, when you go back to your guys, you tell them you got him, and I'll go back to mine and tell them I got him. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure I got it. And as we laid there, we kind of rolled back on our side and we're looking up at the stars, like still trying to grasp our breath. And like, we go, (laughs) and we're like, fuck. That was shit water. Yeah. I better not like catch a disease from this. Like, and we go back and they're all like, what in the world happened to you two? We're like, don't want to talk about it. Like, and they're all laughing and making fun of us. Of and course. Like, and the sun comes up and I'm like, I'm so mad that I go back to the truck and I grab like two thermites and I walk over to that guy's truck and I just thermite his truck. I was like, <laughs> I, I'm burning this truck to the ground just for spite. Like, and so we sit there and we're like, you know, this op's going to be over in like five more hours. So one of the, Marines are like, well, while we're here, why don't we see if there's any ordnance here? There's a bunch of, like, heels and stuff like that. And, man, we start pulling ordnance out like nobody's business. Really? Like, five, like, Hellfire missiles that were ours. No And, kidding. like, a bunch of, like, 122 rockets, like, a cubic F-ton yeah. of ordnance. And as the Marines are, like, calling us in, one thing we didn't realize was we had, like, crossed over into the Army's AO by a couple of clicks. Oh, yeah? Like, to kill these guys. And, like, so the Marines are working that out. And we pull all this stuff out. We set our charges up. And uh, we're about to blow this thing. And we get a hold, right? And we thought it was because, like, the Marine Corps general showed up. He wanted to see, like, what what. What's going on? Like, what would we find? I see where this is going. He's all happy, right? <laughs> and like, okay, we're going to blow this stuff up. And next thing you know, man, like this heat, this Huey flies over. And I'm like, what is this, like apocalypse now? Like, <laughs> I didn't even know we had Hueys. And it, like these little like army, like track vehicles come in. I forgot what they were called, but the army swoops in. And they're basically like, yeah, yeah, you're not blowing that up. That's ours. Of course. And we're like, but we did all the work. Like, and they're like, uh, I kind of looked over. I was like, should we take all the demo? It's all our demo. Like, but we were so mad that we weren't like getting to like blow the, blow the shot up that we'd set up. They were like, you know what? You guys mess with this. Like, oh, you got to, oh, EOD's coming? Army EOD? Yeah, yeah. You guys go ahead. And uh, we never really found out what happened other than I did read the report. There were no Hellfire missiles in the report. Uh, interesting yeah so uh, i'm not sure what happened there but yeah even recon was like yeah that was that was messed up yeah um but um on the one of the other missions during that time i remember the captain he was so happy we found a bunch of ordnance and it was in a house and he calls in an airstrike and 
like we're standing there and everybody's got their video cameras up. That's just pre-iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. But we had the, the Sony cameras and they could do video and we're videoing. And I think we literally had a Sony video camera and uh, Brian was like videoing and stuff. And um, I remember like, you know, you hear the F-18 come in, like, like he dropped some ordnance and like, yeah, here it goes, man. Like you pan over to the right and like, Oh, he missed. All right, well, there is a building. Maybe he had the wrong GPS, right? It's like, okay. Comes around again, drops another, like, misses it again. And, uh, like, like on the left side of the building. And then drops his third piece of ordnance, and it smurfs in underneath the building and kind of lifts it up and sets it right back down. What? Doesn't blow it up. Like, and the, the captain was so defeated. He was like, he was so happy, like, because he called this thing in. Yeah. He was going to get it on video, and, like, we're standing behind it, and um, Brian turned around to me because there was a, there's a video that's out there, and it's Farron, and we were stupid close to, like, a sniper that was sniping at us, and they called in a JDAM strike, and it, like, we were close, close. Yeah. And it... I remember Brian turned around. He's like, he goes, hey, man, um, I thought these things were GPS guided. Like, I mean, uh, they miss? Okay, wait, we were way too close last time. Yeah. Like, way too close. And then the captain turns around because he hears Brian. He goes, wait, can you guys go blow that building up? We're like, we sure can. <laughs> like, And that was probably the start of, like, imploding buildings and stuff in on on themselves and uh, we got really good at it, and then it just kind of became an unwritten rule that if the insurgents used it, we destroyed it. That's awesome. Um, and I kind of want to say that, you know, when we first got there, you know, Marines was like, hey, we want you guys in our uniforms. Yeah. You'll get shot at less. And, you know, you're standing out there, and you're like, hey, man, last I checked, dude, I, I don't see a difference. Yeah. They're shooting at all of us. Like, <laughs> And after a while, we realized, and even the other team's like, you know what, man, we we don't ever get sniped at anymore in the city. Like other people get shot at. We don't get shot at. And the running joke was, it's like, yeah, I think the locals probably went to the insurgents and said, Hey, these guys that are in these, uh, different looking uniforms, quit shooting at them. Yeah. Or quit messing with them because they're blowing up the rest of Fallujah at a building at a time. Right. And <laughs> literally like we stopped getting sniped at. And I was like, Hey man, like, uh, seems like that uniform thing didn't work out, but, uh, worked out great for us. Yeah. It, but yeah, there was, um, it, you know, it was just a different time. I mean, you're talking about a time when there was curfew in Fallujah. Like right. You, after 9 PM, if it didn't have an IR stroke, you, there was no, the rules of engagement was to kill it. Yeah. Uh, so and we would we would catch insurgents at time out after curfew, and of course, you know, we turn them over to to be interrogated and figure out, and that would lead to more work and trying to find you know the network and um, and take out you know the insurgents, um, you know, all the way up to the lieutenants to the bomb makers, and you know the work was was so plentiful that I mean. We there was no no room for anything else. I mean, every time you turn around, you were on a another operation. Yeah. 
you know, toward the end, um, I remember we were putting the, the all the Navy guys back together and all the Marines because Marines were ripping out two months prior to us. And I remember my OSC coming to me and goes, Todd, um, nobody wants to be on your team. <laughs> and I was like, ooh, is it, is it, am I a bad EOD tech? What, what, what? And they're like, no, they, they think you're unlucky. <laughs> Uh, you have been blown up every month here. I was like, because I've been in my truck going to an IED call. And they're like, yeah, they 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 don't care. Like, I was like, well, uh to um for my for my, you know, the positive is nobody's ever been hurt with me. Yeah. Like, uh so I, I don't know what to say. And finally the guys were like, all right. And it would just freak me out because Brian, I'd like, we'd roll out of the gate and I'd kind of look over my shoulder and he'd be back there praying. And I'm like, oh man, don't pray because you, you think there's something going to happen. Yeah, like, right. I, there, there's nothing going to happen to us. Like, uh, <laughs> there's no room in hell for us because if we end up in hell, well, one, the devil doesn't want us down there because we'll run the place. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we're, we're pretty good. Like, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, Looking back on all of it, man, like talk about like extraordinary, the, the people like to work with the kind of people, man, that run toward the sound of gunfire and explosions, mm-hmm. the kind of people that uh, do great violence upon evil men, the kind of people that bleed on the flag and ensure the stripes stay red. That's, that's EOD text, man. They're, they are the most humblest, too humble, actually, people yeah. in the world. Uh, and you giving a venue like this for guys to tell their story and so they can see other people tell their stories is, is, is priceless. Um, we are very bad at our history. Um, I mean, uh, we talked about it. There's a YouTube video out there, uh, labeled the history of, uh, EOD. And it's a guy from the Naval historic something. And, he literally says Navy EOD and then spends the next 45 minutes talking about the form Kaufman creating, you know, UDT. Yeah. Missiles, um, which kind of is kind of scared me because I was like, this guy is a historian, the Naval's his, Navy's historian, and he doesn't even know what Navy EOD history is. Yeah. Um, and, and it's through things like his collaboration, right? That, that's a power of, of EOD. Like it, right. we talked about, like, how did I survive? That is one unique thing. You know, people, civilians are all like, well, you know, you, you guys are very, like, you need orders and, you know, be told, like, what to do. And I was like, not not in this organization. Nope. There's, there's commander's intent, mm-hmm. uh, but there's nobody telling me what to do, like, standing on my shoulder. Right. Uh, but civilians, they go by what what's in the, the movies, right? Yeah. And, but... You know, every successful team, what do they do really well? They communicate, right? Yep. And they, I, I see them all the time, and they're they're like, okay, hey, this is what I think the plan is. And they go through it, and then they literally go, anybody got any better idea? Yep. And sometimes that better idea comes from that youngest guy on the team. Right. That's not indoctrinated. And, and it's and it's amazing. Like, the collaboration is is the strength of, of EOD. Um, the fleet probably doesn't do it as much. Um they are more of a down type organization mm-hmm. like you will do. And in EOD, and there's times and moments where that that is is the type of leadership. But 
Yeah. People seem to be surprised when, when I mention how collaborative uh, uh, Navy EOD is, uh, especially the civilians, uh, and, and how it's a power. So. Yeah, and I, I think, too, like, the reason why we can do that is, one, there's a selection, right? So, so that the people that generally would have terrible ideas are not at the end of the process, right? Occasionally one or two gets through. Um, but then also our schooling is focused and, and after schooling too, it's focused on threat assessment, finding the problem and coming up with a solution. And so everybody on the team has some form of that. And the senior guys just have done it more and more so that it's usually easier. But the problem with it sometimes is you've seen it. So you're like, Oh, this is what we'll do. And then there's a new piece to that puzzle that you just forgot to add in. And that makes it harder, which is why the new guy who is also doing the same thing that you're doing is like, Oh, but what about this? And you're like, yeah, what about that? Um, we're doing your idea. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, it's, uh, and sometimes they say something and you're like, okay, that was so off. How did I not come? To, like, how did exactly. I not get there? Like, yep. it's like, and, but that's why it's a team, right? Yeah. Like it's, it's a team. It doesn't, it, it won't function. You won't live. You won't survive mm -hmm. unless it's like everybody is in it and feels like they're, they, they'll be, they'll be hurt. And, you know, there were times on teams where, it just wasn't, we didn't have the time to, to, to do that. Right. And when you make that ask and you're like, guys, we have to do X, Y, and Z, they execute it immediately because they, they, they understand and yeah. they, cause each one knows that they, they are heard and they have value to the team because if you don't think you have value to the team, you'll quit on the team. Right. Um, it, I was told that Mark Sanders said this quote once, and, and I agree with it. EOD techs are like thoroughbreds. You have to run them. Because yeah. if you don't run them, they'll quit on you. Absolutely. And they'll never run again. Um, and, but you were talking about, like, you know, the team aspect. And what's great about a team, and also we, we work in an unrealistic environment. We work with people who show up every day wanting to take over the world. Yeah. And things, I think that's where some of the rub may start happening when we start interfacing with other, like with the fleet. Mm -hmm. And, yep. you know, EOD techs, um, you may not have heard of someone, but you'll ask about him. And, you, and usually he is based off of his, his like job performance, right? Yep. We are, we judge each other off the work we do. Mm -hmm. I don't think everybody else does that, right? So you'll go, hey, um, Todd Neal, like, uh, well, I heard about him. Uh, I heard he's short. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> cool. And uh, he was like, oh, he's not a dick? Like, well, yeah, I have heard he's a dick. Like, he can't be a dick. Like, and, but, you know, that's literally you're in an organization that your name precedes you. Yeah, like, absolutely. I mean, they're still today. I mean, I'm, I think I'm getting to a point now where people are like, hey, do you know such and such? I was like, yeah, I think I'm, I've been gone long enough, even though it's only been two years, that I just don't know the 
a lot of the newer new guys. Like, yeah. Yeah, I know most of the guys were probably chiefs and or making chief now. And, you know, I've either been on the platoon with them or 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 have worked with them in some capacity, whether it be Secret Service. Uh, but the, the extraordinary individuals that are within EOD aggravate me now that I've been retired, right? Um, and, and I help a lot of guys uh, transition, uh, set up like a uh, Facebook group. We share and collaborate information called uh, INSOT, Naval Special Operations Transition. And it's, it's for EOD techs and, and divers. Like, yeah. uh, I really, my path through uh, transition wasn't that great. Uh, it was kind of like I got lucky. Um, and I thought that it just shouldn't be that way, right? Um, that's, you hear in the Navy, is like, you can ask a chief anything. Because mm-hmm. they know everything, right? Except about retiring. Yeah. Or getting out of the Navy. You know why? Because none of them have done it. Right. Because they're all in the military and you don't know what you don't know. And unfortunately admins like that too is none of them had done it either. Mm-hmm. Um, and through the website, we came up with a, a response plan that basically walks EOD text through how to get out of the Navy. And so far to date, the, at least the last five guys that I've talked to have said they have literally had a zero issue with getting out of the, Navy, and that makes me happy because uh, yeah. I, I feel like I, I'm, I can give back to an organization that I that I love, and to people that deserve it. Yeah. Um, and but it does aggravate me when when I, I have EOD texts that are like, "I'm a big dumb animal." And I was like, "Well, you're the smartest big dumb animal I've ever met in my life." Then. Yeah. And and it's kind of almost like a thing of pride for them and it's like you're you're not a dumb animal man like you're right. i was like you sit there and do cube root calculations in your head you do the inverse square law calculation like it's like you will take an x-ray of a circuit board and do the power source and go oh that could be a resistor a capacitor and determine what the possible firing speed of that 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 board could be and then pick a tool to try to feed it right yeah i so I'm like, so you're an electrical engineer that never went to electrical yeah. engineering school. You went to Area 8, so you're a mechanical engineer that never went to school either other than EOD school. Um, you're you're a physicist. You're a chemist. You're like, you're a, mathma- you're a mathematician, yep. right? And you're a guy that gets to play robotics every day. Yeah. So guys have a lot of, lot of skills that... Uh, I don't, in my experience, being on the other side now, aren't really good at, at explaining to, to people. Yeah. Um, I, I actually just recently, so I'm EWS coordinator at Mobile Unit 6, right? So <clears throat> I chair the majority of the senior boards right now. And uh, one of the guys, we just had a, a bazillion, it seems like, senior boards all come up at the same time. But <laughs> one of the guys, you know, he, he's one of those that, from the outside you look at and you're like, man, that dude is strong as an ox, right? Like, and you look at him, right? And, and the perception, right, mm-hmm. is he's just a big, dumb animal. And, yeah. and I almost feel bad for saying it this way when he passed. But so he passed and he absolutely crushed it, right? And I was yeah. like, dude, honestly, I love it when 
the people like you, the big dumb animals, yeah. just crush it. And I, I literally said that, and part of me feels bad because he's yeah. absolutely not a big dumb animal. Yeah. He's he's a super smart dude, and even even our dumbest people yeah. are ridiculously smart. Yeah, it's, I mean it's awesome. There and again, it's you. We get so used to working with such high caliber people. Yep, that you ratchet yourselves up, right? Like you're. I mean, I explained this to someone one time. I was like, literally, our guys act like dogs. Yeah. Maybe that's where sled dog comes from. I don't know. But it's like, if you give them praise, they, I mean, I'm guilty of it. It's like, ooh, I want, I, I like that feeling. I want more of it. Um, so I'm going to do even a better job, right? And maybe that leads to, to burnout. I don't know. But it, but it, guys definitely come to work with a purpose. Yes. And it's kind of like the thoroughbred thing. If you, if you don't work EOD techs, they, they, they lose steam. Right. Right. Um, I saw it on the carrier. There wasn't a lot of work. The guys, it was, you had to keep them, you had to keep their minds occupied. Yep. And, uh, because they kind of what did want to quit because it wasn't, wasn't the right kind of work for them. Yeah. Um, and, by giving them work and things to do and execute and, you know, send them out with, you know, different types of teams, um, you know, ODA teams that, to give them exposure. Right. It's like, it's like, well, I didn't train up to do this. Like, well, think of it as training. Yeah. You're, you're they're doing an op and you're going to go do a training op. Uh, of course this is non-combat and, uh, but even during the war, right. It's, we, you were, you were an EOD tech. Like mm-hmm. it's, you know, when SEAL Team 3, or I'm sorry, SEAL Team 7 would come over, you're like, we need EOD guys. You you would just go over there and yeah. you would do the mission. Because yep. at the end of the day, it was still EOD work. Still booby traps, still impedes to assault. Um, you, you would kind of learn how each team would operate. When you would go on ODA, it would be the same thing. We'd work with recon, first recon and third recon through Fallujah. It's, you start realizing like, oh man, a lot this stuff is all the same. Like how they operate, all of them is kind of the same. Yeah. And once you kind of get past this whole, like, oh my God, they're Navy SEALs, right? Right. And then you get and you look behind the curtain, you're like, oh man, they're just like us. Yep. <laughs> they got their smart ones, they got their dumb ones, they got their fat ones, they got their super <laughs> fit dudes. Like, uh they're they're people, right? And they're just good people. Yeah. I mean, and working in that, uh, with that kind of, I don't even know how to, to explain it, but it, it just empowers people to do great things. That's why small units can do great things because in a big unit, you're nobody. Right. Because you're just, you're just a number, right? Yeah. But you're not just a number on an, on an EOD team. Every person has his part to play. Yeah, and it's it's funny you mentioned just a number because we got a guy at at the mobile unit and he was prior army and and we joke about being just a number, but he's like, no, you're literally just a number. I I was a number. Nobody used my name. I was a number. And like, oh, wow, dang. Like, <laughs> oh. I thought it was a saying. <laughs> like, no, it's a saying for a reason. And yeah, oh. we're. We use names because we're people. <laughs> I guess at Airborne, Airborne School wasn't just the, because, you know, they do that at, yep. at Benning, right? Yep. It's like, oh, that must be a school thing. And it's, I guess it's not a school thing. Yeah. So and I, just, I, 
I fully believe him because not only did he say, I'm just a number, but then he said his number. It was so ingrained that oh. he still remembers his number from when he was Army. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Ooh, well, scary. Yeah, that is scary. <laughs> but, you know, uh, yeah, it's EOD text, man. Like, it's can't can't say enough good things uh, about the the type of people that are drawn to this. I know right now there's uh, there's some problems with like retention, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I mean, I literally got an Instagram uh, account just so I could watch fact or look at fact based memes because yeah. I I'm, <laughs> I'm just so like I I just said oh yeah it's it's pretty good like yeah. it's I mean sometimes truth hurts right and uh, but you know I heard something today and and it kind of made dishearten me is that you know. Uh, the EOD operators, you know, they feel like they're not, they're kind of second string now because all they hear is about UMS going and doing the cool stuff mm -hmm. and you, expert CMCM, expert CMCM. But as far as I know, they're, they're part of that company, right? Like they're, they're the other half. And, um, you know, maybe they should quit looking at it as uh, expert CMCM is like, I mean, who else is going to do the UDT type work? Yeah. The EOD guys aren't. UMS guys aren't. And, you know, we talk about mines all the time, but it's, it's really any obstacle, right? Which, I mean, any obstacle to, you know, the beach. Yeah. Any obstacle to get into the house. Like, I mean, that's all we do is impedes to assault. It just doesn't mean it has to be in a building. Um, and and if guys are like, like, well, you know, it's not sexy. It's like, well, nobody's not making is preventing you for not making it sexy like you could go do a night op low profile like you don't have to do it in the daytime right um you don't have to do it with rovs all the time um you may maybe maybe do a dive um and it's really up to them and and i remember and it was it's more of a it was a joke um you know when guys would get kind of in that negative state of mind um on the platoon and it it, it led to uh, in the office environment as well too, since that's my life now, because uh, I'm a former action guy, uh, <laughs> and uh, and anybody knows that acronym, they, <laughs> yeah. not to offend anybody, uh, but uh, or maybe I'm a, a rag, retired action guy. Ooh, like, I like uh, it. Rag. Uh, well, well, that could have been. God, I can only imagine other <laughs> yeah. what's going through their minds right now. <laughs> Are you guys? That's like, gonna make it on fact-based memes. Oh, it sure is. <laughs> like, there's pro actually probably everything I'm saying is going to affect like, <laughs> this idiot. Like, and uh, but no, I mean it's the, the you know when guys would get and I kind of would do it to myself. Okay, everybody getting their little like this sucks, like this mm -hmm. and the other, and you know simple thing of like, hey man, uh, nobody likes a quitter, and everything coming out of your mouth right now sounds like you're being a quitter, and I remember. Uh, I do it to Gunnar Gavlik a lot. He's retired now. So, yeah. You know, we'd all get in our little stinks and and somebody would do something negative. I was like, good. Eh. Like, I wouldn't directly say to him, but like, nobody likes a quitter. And, you know, it'd be like, you know what, I'll show you. Like, I'm not a quitter. And, you know, and I remember one day I was like, I was that that guy, right? And I was like, I was whining about something. Yeah. And I made, as soon as I got it out, I was like, Ooh, I shouldn't have said that out loud. I'm like, and man, I had like three people like, what do we not like? Quitters. And that's what you sound like right now. And I was like, you know what? I'll show you guys. But sometimes that 
that type of mentality is what keeps guys motivating, keep them on target. And, you know, it's, I don't get to live that life anymore. And, and, and all you guys who are living that life, man, it's, it's what you make it. Yeah. Cause there's no commander over your shoulder right now telling you what and how to do it. Right. Like, so it's like, if it's not sexy, Hey man, that's you make it sexy, whatever that means to you. Like, right. Um, if you don't understand something like ask your, ask your commanders, like, why is things the way they are? Like, mm-hmm. But I mean, contextually, I mean, look at the next war. We got to get in there somehow. And it's going to be those expeditionary MCM teams that are getting us in there. Yeah. Um, just getting the Marines in there. Uh, that whole Ebo, you know, idea. That's who's going to do that. That's it's not, it's not Leon. Like you got to get there first. Right. And that's, yep. that's, that's going to be all you guys, all the Navy EOD operators working in conjunction with the expedientary MCM. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sure. Um, those guys, I, I don't know if many people know this, the older guys do, but you know, when Swick first started up in the late nineties, you had to have a heartbeat to, to, to be Swick. Yeah. It's not that way now. Right. They had to grow the program. Well, that's what UMS is now. That's us yeah. growing the program. Right. And there, there are going to be some times we need people with just, just a heartbeat. Yeah. Until we get to a point where, they close loop it and they start make, making those guys almost do what it takes to be a, an EOD tech or a diver. Yeah. Um, and, but we're just not there yet. We, we, we don't have the luxury. Um, and trust me, if we go to war, uh, those guys will get real good real fast or they'll yep. get real dead real fast. Yep. And that's just the, um, you know, just kind of like, the whole EOD adage of like, you know, it's like, you know, life will, will weed out like, you know, the non hackers. Right. Um, I, I actually enjoy that you said that and I'm going to take that back because, um, <clears throat> that is, that's probably the hardest thing being in charge of that portion of it is to get them to realize. And I, I actually like, you know, we were just talking about how it, it's so obvious. Why didn't I think of that? Yeah. But that is literally, it's such an obvious statement that is 100% true that if you bring it up to them in that way, yeah, like they're going to, they're going to understand like, okay, I have to start looking at this problem set in that way. I will either learn how to do this inside the framework of this being a combat thing, mm-hmm. yep. right? Or when combat happens, I will not be there very long. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think EOD text kind of talk that way um, where it's like, you know, natural selection will run its course. Yeah. Um, and, and, and think back to training. Like we kind of breed it in ourselves. Like you have two types of divers, right? Yeah. Yeah, strong ones and smart, <laughs> smart ones, ones yeah. right? Like, yep. and hopefully the strong ones get smart. Or, exactly. You know, like, and, <laughs> but I mean, we kind of breed it in. I'm, I remember a saying that stuck with me. It's like, uh, it's okay to make a mistake. Don't make the same one twice. Right. Because you're not learning. Uh, if you're not learning, that, that probably means that you're, you're going to be 
um, probably not around very long. Yeah. Um, and and hopefully any mistake you do make, only only you pay for the mistake. God forbid that a uh, mistake that you make, uh, you know, causes someone else to be hurt. Yeah. Because um, uh, I could only imagine having having to. I would never want to live with that ever. Um, and and I think uh, all EOD techs. Actually, I know all EOD techs think about those things because yeah. it is it is a brotherhood, and they they we are judged by the work we do, and yeah. and you wouldn't be in that position if you couldn't do the work, right? Um, but trying to get guys to understand um, what it, what combat was like. I mean, to be fair, when I had the bag over my head and R and T, and they take me down, I, I I had no idea what combat would be like. Mm-hmm. And people who know me, they, they know that there was, uh, like, it, w- it wasn't the first time. I, I mean, I had two CONUS kills. Like, you know, I had two gang members when I was on the police ride-along. So that part, I, I for me personally, I knew. Like, yeah. There was no, like, you know, when it, before that, I, would, I always, when I joined the Navy, I was like, ooh, what if I had to take a life? Could I do that? Would I freeze up? You know, how, how would I be, right? Um but that was already answered for me. I already knew how I re- would respond under stress. Uh, I think EOD training, you become, it comes so ingrained, the muscle memory, right? Mm-hmm. From a, going from a primary weapon to your secondary. And, you know, uh, that by the time something's happened, it's already happened. Like right. it's, you're, you're past it. Like you've executed and probably by the time you get back to the fob, you're like, oh, wow. Let me think, let me read, think about the events, what just happened. Yeah. You know, it's like clearing a house, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, guy steps out and you're like, you're like, holy crap, nobody picked this guy up. And it's like, okay, you're too close. Like in your muzzle striking him. And, you know, it's, you know, sometimes they live, sometimes they don't, like depending on how hard you muzzle strike somebody. But you really don't know what that's like until you have done that, right? right. Like it's, um, and that, you know, you don't have to go full force all the time, right? Um, because if you do, you probably will kill the person. Right? Yeah. Um, and, but it all comes, right? Like, he's, it's, we're back where we were, right? We got a, we got a generation of guys who are, who are, haven't been to combat. Yep. They'll do just fine. Yeah. Because you know why? We all did just fine. And trust me. The guys who are coming in now have more training and, in my opinion, are way smarter than what we were or what I, my generation was coming into EOD. Um, and if we can make it, by God, they can make it too. Yeah. With, no, and everybody sits there and like, does this like, you know, well, they haven't been te- – like we were all there at one point. It's just a fact of life that we're – there's always going to be that moment where people aren't tested and – and, I mean, you will find out real quick who can and who can't. Well, and it's 100% right, right? If you haven't been to combat, you haven't been tested in combat. But there's ways to reduce that factor of is this guy going to shut down or not, right? Mm-hmm. And that's – and, you know, there's there's lots of different ways. But it, it's on us as, as leaders that are still – in and doing it right yeah. to make sure that we are c- 
consistently providing those scenarios and those methods to make sure that people are in a heightened state of stress and performing, right? Because that's that's all we can do is provide those different things, those, those feedback things, those, you know, get the heart rate up, yep. get those fine motor skills so they're not working as well, and then run that drill, right? And yep. yeah, we all hate it. We all are like, this is stupid. This is the worst thing in the world. It makes no sense yep. until it absolutely makes sense because, you know, and you hear it time and time again from those who have been to combat and, and in those scenarios that like, you know, that training at that level yep. is what makes it, it, it doesn't make it perfect, Mm-mm. but it does allow you to be like, okay, I've been here. Like I'm, I know I can push through this. It sucks, yep. but I can move that next step. I can make that decision. I can pause and sometimes that's the hardest thing to do in those high stress situations is like take that little bit of pause, make that decision and then execute. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it rolls back to like, you can stress someone out, but if you don't, if you don't take the time to have them walk through why they did what they did, they won't yes. ever absorb it. Right. And if you don't ever absorb it, you don't ever add it to your baseline, which doesn't free up bandwidth to take on more stress. Right. Um, you know, it's, you know, the IAD drills, which, you know, you're, you're down and you're like, you know, reloading and you're doing all these other things that you do it so much that you just automatically do it. Mm -hmm. What does that give me now? I'm not, I'm not paying attention to my weapon anymore. My head's up and out. I'm looking to see what's coming at me. Like, but in the very beginning, I'm like, okay, how does this thing fit in? Exactly. Does this magazine fit in here? Like, I mean, driving a robot or, you know, it's, oh my God, these, the kids today, man, they, they drive these robots like, like, I'm just amazed. Yeah. Um, how, how intuitive, that, and it's got to be all the video games they play, right? Um, just speaking of video games, I always thought it was ironic that, we'd be in combat, but playing like call of duty yes. in combat. Like, yeah. do we not get enough of this stuff? Like, right. Like, and I love this, the, the frogs. You'd be like, Hey, uh, work's been a little low. Is that, is that how you guys get your training in? Like what's going on? They were like, get out of here, Todd. Yeah. <laughs> you always think you're so smart. Like, like yeah, well, I guess I am the guy always doing the training around here. <laughs> you guys are like, we should do training today. Hey Todd, do you do some training for us? Like, how about you got? How about you guys figure out how to hit the right building? <laughs> like, like, you know, and they're like, yeah, again, <laughs> nobody likes COD. <laughs> like, like and of course, you know, it's like, oh, but I remember clear clearing a building uh, with him specifically, and we're like, we're doing dual point, and I'm like going through the building, and like, all I hear is like, Todd, what, what? What's that at my feet? I'm like, what? It. I better not get shot in the face, dude. Like, I, I swear. Like, if you're looking at the floor, that means, uh, like you're not you're not looking. Like, yeah. Like, so we get back and like, he comes over and says, "Hey, man, I, I'm I'm sorry." Like, I was like, "Hey, man, you know I'm right next to you, right?" He goes, "Yeah." I was like, "He goes, I look. I just want to go home with both my legs." I was like. I'm right next to you. So it behooves me 
to make sure you go home with yours because I want to go home with mine. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, it's, I was like, and oh, by the way, like, I don't want to get a shot in the face, dude. Like, if I'm looking at the ground, you better be looking at who's coming around the corner. Right. And he's like, okay, my bad, my bad. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, Frank, you're killing me. Like, he's like, we, 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 we're good, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but if I get shot, I am haunting you. And he goes, you're not getting shot. I was like, all right, you better not shoot me. And he's like, I don't, I don't do things like that. I was like, well, I will agree, disagree, but okay. Like, it, uh, but no, such, I mean, those shenanigans, man, it, within the teams, like it's, it, you talk to civilians sometimes they're like, oh, you guys are crazy. Yeah. I've never met a crazy EOD tech ever. Oh, uh, wait, one. <laughs> yeah, one. There was one. He was a former diver, and anybody who mm. used to be at Mode 11, and everybody, I'm pretty sure, after I said that, know who's he, who he is. Yeah. And I was like, but, like, it's not like, the, uh, like, you tell people, like, we're, it's not the movies. Like, I'm like, right. we're not great. Like, guys are really great at risk mitigation. Mm-hmm. Like, they mitigate the crap out, like, and to the point of, Nothing should happen. They are the masters of mitigating risk. Yeah. And, but, you know, people, and sometimes too, you meet, you meet some people and they're like, oh, I've worked here. Man, you guys are crazy. I was like, oh, well, you didn't work with EOD then. Like, I, I've never met one that's crazy. Maybe, maybe old dudes, maybe. I don't know. But um, every old dude I've ever met, locked on, man, yeah. just locked on individuals. And just like, you know, times have changed. You you had a guy on your podcast talked about like almost like I really love that. I can't remember his, your second or third maybe uh, podcast. It was an older guy talked about like his time and how EOD has changed over the years to what it is today. And talking to Mike Presley, maybe he was like an enlisted guy became an officer, <clears> and uh, but it I really love that one because it showed the progress of EOD. And you know, I, I'm sitting here talking about last 20 years of fighting in, you know, Fallujah and Afghanistan. And, you know, it, my life, I mean, Jesus, I'm glad they didn't do Forrest Gump part two. Cause I mean, <laughs> Jesus, that would have been me. Like there's been so many events. It's like, wow, I can't believe I got through that. Yeah. And it's like, well, I, I gotta be somewhat good at this job or otherwise I should be dead. Like <laughs> pretty sure. Like, and, but you know, learning at Mobian three, like you, you never turn jobs down. Like you, you, if you would go, yep, I'll go do that. Like, yeah. they just trained you to be an EOD tech. Like you, you didn't get wrapped up with like, well, I'm a soft EOD tech or I'm an mm-hmm. SW EOD tech or I'm a XJCMCM EOD tech. It was like, no, no, I, I'm, I'm an EOD tech. Go do anything anywhere in the world, yeah. anytime. Right. And it's like, because that job doesn't change like at all. There's some calls you might make in a house that might be different outside, but I mean, but that comes with time and exposure and training, right? Yep. And EOD trains people so well that I have no concerns in the fight of the future. Yeah. The guys will rise to, to the occasion and do what needs to be done because that's the type of people they are. Yeah. Um, and I really don't know what more to say. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
other than um, if we are going to wrap this up, uh, sitting here and we are drinking um, some of uh, Josh Christie's uh, Blasters bourbon. And uh, there, through my career, you know, it's all about mindset, right? Keeping our mind and there's a, a saying, you know, from the EOD ethos, you know, people know the EOD ethos. And there was always this personal thing that, that I kind of would say to myself, especially if I needed something to motivate me to take that extra step or keep yeah. going forward. And at the end, I, I always thought that it was a, a very good thing to, that sums up what EOD is or what an EOD tech is. And, and I took a little bit of it from, you know, the frogs and, you know, ODA and, and different organizations we worked with. So there are some things in it that, that are familiar and taken from others, but I still think it sums up what, what EOD is. And I know I'll say I in this a lot, but really what I'm saying is we, because this is what someone would say to themselves and we will do it almost as a toast here at the end. All right. And uh, I called it the Blasters uh, Ballad. And I'll, here we go. I was born from the bombs and the mines of the Blitzkrieg. And I've been around the world twice and I've talked to everyone once. I fought in the jungles, the deserts, the mountains around the world. And I have been baptized through the violence of combat and the blast ways of my destruction. There's no bomb too big or too small. And there's no mine too deep. I will jump from six miles above the earth. I will dive to the cradle of the deep. Because anything worth doing is worth overdoing. Because moderation's for cowards. You see, I don't quit when I'm tired. I quit when I'm done. And I'm never done. I protect the president, the vice president, and a couple of dignitaries too. But you won't see me in any movies. You won't read many books about me. Because I'm not famous. I'm just infamous. But you can check my pedigree because I'm well-bred. I'm a sled dog. I'm a lover and I'm a fighter. I'm a double-crimping, terrorist-killing, bomb-diffusing United States Navy EOD operator. Booyah, EOD. Cheers. Booyah. Yeah, I think that, I think that's a good ending. All right. Do, do one more to Josh Christie since it's his. Booyah to Josh. Thank you for listening to the Echo Oscar Delta podcast, where we talk to Navy EOD techs and hear the stories that they want to share.